0: Why am I getting paid this assistant salary when I know how to do the consultant's job? Disproportionately, the best companies in the world have been funded by Venture Capital.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to B1 Bites. Today, our guest is Nicole Marino, who is an associate from the Blackbird Investment Team. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. And to kick us off, can you give us a brief introduction of yourself?
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm Nicole. I work as an investment associate at Blackbird Ventures. So basically, we're involved in a few different things. Um, First part of the job is kind of getting out into the ecosystem, so going to a lot of events meeting with potential founders and existing founders and like keeping them in our Blackbird community the second part of it is um, working on investments with senior principals and partners Um, so they have a company that they want to invest in we meet with the founders we do a lot of research on the market the product that they're building and then um, help the investment committee come to a yes no invest decision Um, and then finally like there is opportunity for us as associates to bring forward investments so we're always on the lookout for things that we're interested in that can involve building theses around different areas um, that you think will explode in the future for example I was looking a lot into our ability to engineer biology and startups around that um, and that's been super interesting so my background is actually in economics so I studied a Bachelor of Commerce at Unimelb and then I did honours in economics as well so I don't know if there's a direct path into BC a lot of my colleagues have done a heap of different things Um, but my um, whilst I was at uni I did an internship at JP Morgan in their markets division Um, and I also worked part-time at a fixed income investment fund uh, called Alexander Funds Management so tried a few different things decided that I liked the investment side of things more so ended up going for a grad role at Australian Super which I pursued I was actually really excited about the opportunity um, to start my career as an investor at Australian Super, which I think people undervalue a little bit. So I went on to their, well, I didn't, you had to do an internship at the time. They wouldn't hire you just as a grad. So I did an internship in between undergrad and honours. And then I um, started as a full-time grad after honours. And I was in the what's called Total Portfolio Management Team. So it's like very high level macro investing. You're thinking about what percentage of your portfolio you should put in different asset classes. And it was a pretty good experience to work with, you know, Australia's probably largest and most powerful investor. And um, it was a good learning opportunity, but I found that particular type of investing a little bit slow and had always been interested in, you know, equities. And I thought I wanted to go into tech equities. Um, and then when I saw this opportunity at blackbird come up i thought that's exactly what i want to do i want to be working in technology investing in technology but this is even earlier and even more frontier right because by the time something's got to market um it's ipo it's kind of a little bit later stage or tends to be whereas in VC, you're working with um super new new tech taking risks on um whether or not they'll work sometimes but if they do they can be super consequential and um it's it's been super rewarding so I started in January this year coming up to a year now that's my slightly meandering answer. Wow amazing before we delve too deep into your
1: experiences can you tell us a bit about what's actually VC or venture capital?
0: Yep so venture capital is a type of private equity investing um that's basically involved in buying portions of startup companies generally in the very early stages. So you invest across rounds, um, starting with things like the pre-seed round, seed round, series A, B, C. And the idea is like the earlier rounds take a lot more risk, the later rounds less risk, but obviously it's like higher return, high risk, high return at the early stage. Basically as a VC investor, you're looking to, um, to build out a return distribution that's based on the the power law or the Pareto distribution. So basically you make a lot of high-risk investments at the start with the expectation that maybe 20% of them will end up being really successful. So like each of those companies in the 20% bucket might return your whole fund. So if you're investing out of a $300 million fund, then each of those companies in 10 years would be worth the the percentage that you own would be worth at least 300 million and then maybe the middle 30 40 percent only return like what you invested and then the bottom what did I get to 40 20 the bottom 40 percent might go to zero or something like that you know some version of that distribution so uh whereas you know when I was at Australian super right when most of the companies that they invested in, even though it wasn't in the equities team, you know, you wouldn't kind of invest if it had the possibility of going to zero, like it's a very different risk return profile. Um, but in that sense as well, it's for founders looking to um, build companies on the frontier or companies that they need money to start off, uh, but that have a possibility of, of being really huge companies. Um the own like venture capital is one of the ways that you can sort of get off the ground and I guess um most of the world's big tech companies that you can think of so you know your Facebook, Google, WhatsApp, why do I think WhatsApp, Netflix all those kinds of companies um were funded initially by venture capital so just I think there's something like only one percent of companies in the in America get venture funding but the companies in the NASDAQ, so the top tech companies in the US, something like over 50% of them were funded by VCs. So disproportionately, the best companies in the world have been funded by venture capital.
1: Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Why Why do you think that
0: is? Um, I think it's to do with the types of companies people build. So a startup is very different from like a lifestyle business, mostly distinguished by the fact that like, If you're a startup, you want to be really high growth um, and doing something historically, though it's been a little bit different recently. That's quite novel and new. So in a way, the companies that are successful at that tend to be very consequential and so dominate those like super massive companies in the world, like Apple as well, for example, was funded by venture capital. Um, Whereas if you're just starting a regular sort of like run-of-the-mill store a supermarket a cleaning business like they're all very similar so they're highly competitive markets and if you think back to I don't know did you say that you did economics like undergrad micro (laughs) highly competitive markets not very differentiated products right the size um, that you can get to tends to be limited unless you were the first. So like if you were the first big supermarket, right, then you probably had an opportunity to take the market. But if you build the 20th or 30th supermarket now, the likelihood that you're going to become a massive company, is not very high. But if you build the first quantum computer, then the likelihood that you're going to become a massive company is very high. Does that make sense? So
1: would you say like VC focuses on the more niche and the more unique Um, startups within the kind of startup landscape?
0: I think so. Also just on companies that have the potential to grow and take market share very fast. So Blackbird is what's known as a generalist tech investor. So Mm -hmm. we're most well known for our investment in a software company called Canva. Have you used Canva before? Yeah. Design tool, yeah. Okay. So, uh, we invested in them in 2012, and they've been super successful. And um, in VC, you tend to earn the right to raise more funds. So you invest out of a fund that's called a vintage, and it lasts for a few years. Um, you earn the right to to raise new funds if you've been successful in your previous investments. So. Early on, it was a lot of software companies, still technology focused, Um, but increasingly we're investing in what's known as deep tech or frontier technologies. And um, so it's it's only restricted to companies that are focused on, like have an underlying sort of thread of technology at the core of their business. And can you tell us a little
1: bit about Blackbird as well for the people who are listening who hasn't heard of Blackbird before?
0: yeah so blackbird is australia and new zealand's largest tech focused venture capital firm so as i mentioned briefly prior we started in 2012 um with the first fund which i think was like 29 million it was a pretty small fund and since then have raised four consecutive funds so we're at our fifth fund now um which just closed recently in the news as a uh, billion Australian dollars. So I think it's the biggest VC fund raised in Australian history. Um, our, our, I guess mandate, our restrictions are that every company we invest in has to have a strong connection to Australia and New Zealand. So we define that by the founder is Australian or like New Zealander or otherwise spent a long period of time here. They went to university here, they went to school here um, or they worked here for a long, a long time. And yeah, that's just built around the thesis that Australia and New Zealand has unbounded talent um, that has the potential to build, you know, globally influential companies like Canva, for example. Some other interesting ones are Culture Amp, Safety Culture. There are some pretty cool frontier tech ones coming up now. So uh, Fleet Space is um, building satellites at the moment to do like land surveys to help miners find. Um, I guess, deposits of of minerals uh, and materials. But at the moment, the way they do it is they basically just drill holes randomly and it's really bad for the environment. But if you can, you know, from space kind of measure um, the land properly, can't remember, I'm trying to think of the word for this type of survey and I'm not getting it right. But basically you're, you're able to be much more accurate with where you drill for resources. And so you don't cause as much environmental degradation and super cool stuff.
1: Yeah. Wow. That sounds amazing. And what do you do in Blackbird as an associate in the investment team? Can you run us through your, um, what your day-to-day look
0: like? Yeah. So it's actually the most varied job I've ever done. Like every day looks pretty different. Um, it's kind of a combination of what I touched on earlier, which is meeting people in the ecosystem so you go to a lot of events you meet um, ambitious students and founders working in different fields you also work on investments with senior team members so when we um, want to invest in a company we go through what's kind of known as a due diligence process um, do some research on the market on the founders do customer reference calls founder reference calls And then you do like a written memo and you present that to the investment committee, get some questions, go back. Um, So that's a large part of the job. And then finally is kind of building out new theses on areas that you're interested in and um, forging what we call new rivers of inquiry, which is super fun. I really enjoy that. Um, Yeah. Thinking about the future a lot, I would say, and how, how it would look different with X company involved. Yeah,
1: you mentioned um, the role entails a lot of going out and meeting new people and talking to them and thinking about the future. Would you say kind of the VC area is really big on not networking, but like forming relationships with new people?
0: Oh, definitely. A lot of people describe VC as a sales job. Um, So... A lot of it is what you would call networking. The best VCs in the world have huge networks and tend to know everyone, it seems. So the, like, you have to build out what's called deal flow. Um, So by going and meeting people and building relationships, when they meet someone who is an interesting founder, they might think of you, email you, say, hey. I met this person, do you want to meet them? And so how you're measured in the long run as a venture capitalist is by the quality of your investments. And because it's a private market, right? You can't go out and look at the stock market and see what your universe of possible investments are. How how else do you find possible investments? It's by building a network and getting referred to people. So the better quality your network, the hopefully like higher quality your investments will be over time. So it is very much about um, building a network. And in the end, like it's a sales job because you are selling money to founders. So the best founders often um, will have a lot of interest in, in their investment rounds because everyone wants to invest in the best companies. And so you have to justify to them why they should take your money and not someone else's money. And so a lot of that is to do with like the firm, the brand, the reputation, um, that the company you work for has and I'm really lucky because I think Blackbird has probably the best reputation in Australia Mm. in my biased opinion but I mean from the inside it's a really great place so
1: yeah wow that sounds so cool and what would you say is your favorite aspect of working for Blackbird um as well as what's your favorite thing about VC and do you think you're going to stay in this VC industry for a while
0: yeah my favourite aspect of working for Blackbird I think is the autonomy they give me to you know drive my own rivers of inquiry so a lot of jobs tend to just give people tasks and tell them to do it they put them on certain projects like even if you're a consultant for example um, everyone's like that's the ultimate diverse job you get to do you get to work across so many different companies but They assign you those, so you don't really get much of a choice in the early years over what you work on, whereas in my job, I do get, like, pulled into certain tasks with different Um, senior team members but a lot of it is also driven by the interests that I've expressed so I've said I want to work on life science biology investments also AI and machine learning investments and so when we have those kinds of companies come through people often ask me questions they ask me to work with them Um, so it's very self-directed in that way which some people can find uh, I think a lot of people like most people like autonomy but I think when people actually get full autonomy sometimes they get a little bit scared um so I think it's kind of like the you do have to have a willingness to kind of take risks and make mistakes and then the good thing about Blackbird is no one really holds you to it too much if you make a mistake you just don't make the same mistake twice type thing it's very fine to like try things and and not get them right the first time Um, but I like the autonomy and then um the VC industry in general is that it's super optimistic and positive. And so it's radically different from any other industry that I've worked in where people tend to be, I guess, more cynical and um, just less positive about the future and technology's ability to improve our lives um, on a global scale. So I find that really empowering and it's just great to like be in a community of people um, who are really optimistic about the future. And so, because of that, I, I do think that I'll stay in the industry for a long time. Out of all my jobs I've had, it's definitely the best one.
1: Oh, that sounds so inspiring. Just that kind of empowering aspect of VC sounds quite cool. Yeah. yeah. And going back to your time at uni, what made you decide to do honours in economics?
0: Um, What did? I think I found commerce a pretty dry degree. So a lot of it was just... Wrote learning and there wasn't much of a culture as well I don't know if you've found this but it's just kind of like go to tutorial you're so rushed to like answer the questions the cute questions that you don't even get to talk to anyone and you get shuttled out. Um, I just I found it really boring and I saw Onan's as an opportunity to actually work and build my own project for once, like do my own research, which is not something that you really do in undergrad at, at Melbourne Uni. So um, people told me it was hard. And I was like, at the time, oh yeah, that's what they all say about everything. Like they, people, I, I've never had so many people in my life. I'm not putting this correctly. <laughs> there are some third year economic subjects as well, like um, micro and macro, which you don't have to take to get the major anymore but I still think you should do them because they're like fundamental subjects in your major. So don't cop out. But everyone, so many people will tell you, Oh my God, don't take them. Like you, they're too hard. Like if you don't need it for your major, why wouldn't you? I'm like, no one wants to challenge themselves. And I did those subjects and they were hard, but they weren't as hard as people said. So I was like, Oh, everyone always overestimates how hard things will be. I underestimated how hard honors would be. It was extremely hard. (laughs) Cause I didn't listen to people. I did not prepare correctly. And it was just, um, it was insane. It was an insane year. Also probably confounded by the fact that it was 2020 and we were in lockdown and I was like in a share house and I was like, oh my God. But um, very tough year, but character building, they say. And it was definitely the best year of all my university years. So highly recommended. Oh, do you remember what your thesis was about? yeah so funnily enough it was actually about a topic called secular stagnation which is the idea that we are kind of converging to this low growth society which is reflected in the fact that um you know prior to 2020 interest rates had been falling for like 30 years in australia in the us for a long time as well and they were like monetary policy traditionally works in the way that if you reduce interest rates, you should stimulate demand, right? Yet they kept dropping interest rates and growth wasn't increasing. So Mm -hmm. it was about, um, I did what's called a theoretical uh, thesis. So you can do an empirical thesis, which is where you analyze data, you ask a question and you analyze data and you find an answer, or you can do a theoretical thesis, which is where you manipulate a model I think at like PhD level, you would probably build your own model from the bottom up. But at honors level, you usually like find a, a model in the literature and you adjust it and, and find some new results from it. So I did a model of an economy where the long run outcome was secular stagnation. So contraction, basically, the, the economy was going to shrink and was trying to look at the effect of government spending in that environment. And was there a way that you could like jolt the economy out of this contractionary path? Um, So it was very theoretical and honestly a bit fluffy, but it was like a fun mathematical exercise.
1: Um, Still on your uni life, you mentioned you had a really, really interesting second year. What would you say is the driving force behind you deferring your second year and working as a full-time salesperson for a construction company?
0: So I, my dad was in sales majority of his life or whilst I was a child and he worked uh, for a long time in construction sales so I kind of grew up hearing about that industry and I got a job as a sales and marketing assistant part-time when I was 14 so this is like you know in the outer suburbs they build house and land packages and you can go to all the builders and they all build like some version of the same thing right And just it's very um what's the word it's like homogenous it's all the same thing so I would sit at the front desk on weekends and people would come in and they, my objective was like to try and get their details to pass on to the consultant and the consultant worked on commissioners. So they wanted to sell as much as they could. Um, So I did that and also did that through first year. And at the time I'd been doing it for like four years. And I thought, hey, why am I getting paid this like assistant salary when I know how to do the consultant's job? I wanna try doing the consultant's job. Um. I'd worked with a lot of different consultants. So I observed a lot of different sales styles and I thought I could kind of make an interesting mashup of my own. So um, there wasn't like a, a massive intrinsic long-term motivation to it. It just seemed like an opportunity and something that I could take. I was a little bit young for my year. So it was like January 97. So when I finished high school, I was 17. So I was like, if I took a year off, it probably wouldn't matter in the scheme of things. Um, And so I just like deferred uni, went to my manager and said, can I be a salesperson? He's like, oh, look, we haven't hired a 19 year old to do this job before, (laughs) but I've known you for a long time. So let's like try and um, I had to push for a while, but uh, it ended up being a super valuable and differentiating experience in my life. So most people just follow like common trajectories, go and do an internship, at XYZ prestigious institution, get a regular grad job and just follow your way up, right? But um, interestingly enough, I think because I had that really differentiated experience, it helped me in getting like some of those more traditionally prestigious internships like when I returned to uni because no one else had done that. So it's something that made you stop and look and people like, okay, this is interesting. Let's interview this girl um but i wouldn't say that at the time i did it with that motivation it was just an idea <laughs> i just thought i would do it wow that but sounds pretty cool. i think i think i think young people should lean more into just taking opportunities as they come and not being so focused on like some prestigious pathway um because now that i'm older and the tables have turned a little bit um weirdly enough even people who want to get into to vc um you think it would be easy if you've done like the traditional consulting route and it's not it's not that easy in the end they end up looking for people who look different to the norm so you've done all this work to fit into this narrow prestige pathway and then you still don't get what you want so you should really just do things that are compelling to you and um seem like good opportunities at the time like take opportunities when they come
1: yeah wow that's very inspiring as well and it's kind of some ways comforting to think you you don't like you have to think that far ahead you just really have to pursue what you like doing now and yeah the internship experiences you had in the banking sector as well how did you find kind of working within the
0: banking sector um, so I did an internship at JP Morgan in like 2018, which was at the time, i was so excited about it. Like I thought it was the best thing ever. And I got to go to Sydney and like, they paid for me to live in this apartment for three months and work from like 5am to 7pm at night, which was crazy. <laughs> um, it was a good learning experience. I also felt a lot that I was just a cog in the machine. Like J.P. Morgan's one of the biggest companies in the world. You have pretty much no influence on anything and you're just expected to work like a dog on things that feel a little bit purposeless some of the time. Like maybe if that's what motivates you, fine. I found it hard. like There were elements of it that were interesting. Like I was working... Um, in the area where they traded equity and fixed income derivatives. And I found it really fascinating to sit with the traders and actually watch what they were doing. But in the back of my mind, I didn't think that was something that I could dedicate my life to. So um, it was, it, it's one of the, internships are great because you get to try, kind of try before you commit type thing, right? So um, I I don't really have any specific learnings from, from that experience, it just more stuff that, just insight and knowledge from the inside of a company like that. Mm, yeah, for sure. And then I, I, then after that, I actually went and did something on the complete opposite side. So that was really big. I wanted to work, thought I wanted something smaller where I'd have more influence. And I worked, I got this job part-time at a, a funds management firm called Alexander Funds Management. So like a fixed income investor, and that was like five people, but that kind of taught me the importance of culture because it just you're you're so close to the people all the time. Like if you don't really get along and like you're not super enjoying people's company, well that's your life. Like you're gonna spend every day there and you don't really like being there. So um, if you want to join a smaller company, it's really important that you uh, sort of mesh with your colleagues. And they were fine. They were lovely people. I just found it a little bit slow and not very interesting but that's also one of the advantages of just taking like a lot of part-time internship opportunities when you're at uni right try lots of stuff.
1: Yeah for sure and speaking of culture um, how do you think the culture is like at Blackbird?
0: Yeah Blackbird has an amazing culture it's well like it's casual clothes right so if you're from BCom you're probably expecting to go and do some corporate job and wear a suit and like be uncomfortable all day but it's very much like you can just bring your full self to work with like a it's it's in the tech industry right so think about what that looks like in your mind um and it's super fun like we have company offsites we do fun activities together it's a high performance culture so like it's bring yourself to work but the expectations are very high as well they hire really high quality people um but the benefit of that is you're kind of the sum of the people you spend most time with. So if all your colleagues are really amazing, then by osmosis, you should become really amazing as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's,
0: yeah, it's, yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And can you talk a bit more about what investment themes you're interested in and why?
0: I have been focusing a lot on the sort of frontier technology side of things because that's just where my natural interests go Um, I've been looking a lot into biotech or our ability to engineer biology I think it's a really interesting space in Australia in particular because you might not know this but we have really great medical research so I think something like double or more than double the OECD average um, of all publications are in the top one percent by citations. so it's high quality But in terms of commercialization, so how much of that research we get to market turn into companies, it's like way below the OECD. So we have a lot of academics and not a lot of like actual things that happen at the end after the paper. The paper gets published and then what? So, um, and it's not like that in really established like startup ecosystems like in the US. So in the US, I think like 50% of biology graduates go to work in biotech companies whereas in Australia the majority of them just stay in academia Um, so to me that seems like a huge opportunity we've got high quality frontier science and uh, it's a field that can really help people Um, I think scientists are aligned in those motivations a lot of scientists go into the field because they want to help people and they probably become a little bit disillusioned with the fact that all they're doing is writing applications for grants and Paying to be published in journals, and you know, not seeing the impact of their work. So, um, on that side of things, I think it's a good opportunity in Australia. On the other side, I think there is, or um, well, the other motivation for this is we're at a point in biology where we understand a lot more than we um, ever had. So. I think like chemistry and physics in general have like plateaued in their, in their growth rate or like the expansion of knowledge, however you would want to quantify that. But biology has like taken off exponentially. So we have um, the ability to read DNA, RNA, all this information, the proteome, so all the protein levels, um, at a much higher fidelity than we ever have in the past. So we have all this data on the body. We also have... Um, much better computational methods to both analyze and model that data. And then we have this other factor, which is these crazy cool tools that help us edit DNA in a really precise way. So you might've heard of CRISPR, um, which is really quite a new discovery. I think 2012, it came out. Um, They could do genetic engineering prior to that, but it was very inaccurate. So it was nothing that you would ever think of using in a human. But with this new type of gene engineering that they're developing, and then a few offshoots of CRISPR now, things like prime editing, base editing, um, they're able to do it in a much more efficient and rapid way. So, you know, you have the data, you have the analysis, you have the tools to change it. It seems like we're at the perfect point for this to all take off. and in the end, I think it plays to a lot of core human motivations as well, right? Like, we don't want to get sick. We don't want to be in pain. We don't want to suffer. We need developments in biomedicine to help to help that, to help alleviate that. So the demand is infinite as well. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, so that's kind of the area that I've been looking into. It's super difficult because I don't have a background in biology, right? But at the same time... Um, the best way to learn about things is actually just to talk to people who know. You can, you can shortcut your learning so quickly by talking to an expert in the field that you're interested in and asking questions and asking dumb questions. Can you explain that word? Can you tell me more about that? I didn't understand. Can you repeat that? People get scared to like clarify things when they don't understand because they think they look dumb. But in the end, you just walk away actually being dumb because you didn't understand what they told you, right? But like the best shortcut to anything is just chat with an expert, share their passion for what they're doing, and then also like work out how you can help them. So, you know, in this case, I'm like, hey, I'm looking to learn about your field. If you're ever interested in starting a company or any of your students are like, I can help I can help them with that. So it's kind of like, we're both helping each other, right? It's so exciting because I can see like, you're visibly very,
1: very passionate about this sphere. Like you get very excited talking about it, I can tell. Oh, Going really? back to, into the VC sphere. What advice do you have for students who are looking to get into the VC space?
0: One of the core skills of a good VC is just being infinitely curious, right? Because kind of like I said earlier, every day is different. So there's not much routine to it. And you have to be, you know, you something will come on your desk. You have no idea what it is. You have to read. You have to learn. You have to ask questions. And you have to, to to do all those things. There has to be an intrinsic curiosity that drives you. um, So thinking of ways that you can display that broad curiosity um, is a way to help you like get into VC down the line. But I think if I was to do it perfectly, because I I wasn't intending to get into VC, it was more of a, once again, like opportunity driven thing that came up and I thought that seems like a great fit, especially the Blackbird culture. And when I read about it, I was like, this seems like my dream job. Um, uh, a really interesting field that I would like more like BECOM students to think about is actually just going into startups. So a lot of the world's most successful venture capital investors were founders themselves. So they had a company, they sold it, made a lot of money. And then I'm like, what do I do next? And some of them just like, they want to help other founders. So they become investors and they mentor other founders. So, um, or they were operators in some of the world's best startups. They worked with them and then they learned what a good startup looks like from the inside and then they went to become an investor themselves. So as the tech ecosystem is maturing in Australia, there are a lot of really awesome jobs in startups um, that you can you can go to after uni instead of doing the like the consulting or investment banking thing. And you learn so much, like you get so much autonomy in a startup. Your role is not really clearly defined. If you join a really early stage startup, you have the, like not only do you get equity in the company, so you get equity, you're you're motivated internally for it to be successful because if it is, then you get wealthy as well, but you get to direct the strategy. You get to get like, they, they treat you like an equal, even though you're so young. Whereas if you go into a big company, you're like at the bottom of the hierarchy People will just give you the shittest work, like, (laughs) so maybe I shouldn't swear. Um, so if I was to do it again, like, if I knew what I knew now, I would probably just look to go into a startup after undergrad.
1: Mm, Yeah, for sure. And VC is like not an area that's talked about too much, especially within BCOM. So, unlike consulting or IB. Um, what do you think are some of the ways that we can find out more about the VC area?
0: There are so many podcasts. So I listened to a heap of podcasts. That's how I learned a lot. There are a really good book about the history of VC, which I feel like tells you everything you need to know about how the industry came to be. is called The Power Law by um, Sebastian Malaby. That's it. So that's That's all the history. There are a lot of books that's like venture deals. It's going to tell you about the specific terms that you need to know. I find those a little bit like they're not as useful unless you're actually in the job. And even then, if you want to learn about metrics, you could get that quicker from a blog post than reading like a whole book about it. Um, I think the most informative books tend to talk about the history and, you know, then you get to learn about what worked, what didn't work and sort of reflect on your own like strategy as an investor um so yeah I think you can read the power law there's a lot of podcasts like just kind of if you google like 10 best VCs in the US and then you'll get a list and then you start looking at who the partners are and then you look for interviews with them and they do really interesting talks they talk about the investment areas that they're super interested in and yeah go down a bit of a rabbit hole that way
1: (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day as a VC to come on to B1Bytes and educate us on whether it's VC, whether it's uni experiences and really um, emphasizing the importance of pursuing what you enjoy. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you so much.